I did, uh, there was a, uh, kind of like a general store type thing in Harper's Ferry. So like Harper's Ferry is the, it's like this old historic town in West Virginia where it was where John, John Brown's raid was, you know, he was an abolitionist that basically, like I said, you know, took the, you know, took the words from the Bible and decided that he was going to use them violently. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, so there's like that aspect of it, but it's also like more or less like the center point of the AT. And so they have the Appalachian Trail Conservancy there. And then they also have like, you know, there's like, it's a cute little, t- it's a really cool little town. I would love for you guys to go see this thing. Yeah. You know, I was just like, yeah, you know, I was going to say, you know, maybe, uh, you guys, um, you know, like tell Jamie to like take you guys through there. I mean, like when she picks you guys up, like you're really not that far from it, from uh, Dulles. If you're mm. flying into Dulles mm-hmm. to like go that route, mm. you know, it's, it's some back, back road stuff or, or I was like, or maybe I can like, you know, contact her and like, like pick her up and go pick you guys up and I'll drive you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, but I mean, because I really want you know, I really want you guys to go check this place out because it's it's like one of our favorite places in the oh, really? area. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's totally totally cool place. You know, so like we're gonna be there tomorrow, like, but they've got like this really really cool like store that we discovered in there that I just you know, like we would walk past it numerous times. We thought it was just oh, it was just like you know selling you know t-shirts or whatever, and you know, I, yes, I did buy a um, a t-shirt for Magdalena because she's like we come here all the time, but I don't have a a Harper's Ferry t-shirt hint hint <laughs> like yeah yeah got the hint mm-hmm. and so got her a, a t-shirt then I got myself a cool like AT t-shirt that like the money from that one goes to the conservancy mm-hmm. so I'm like okay if I'm buying it for you know if I'm gonna buy it for a good cause and I do hike the Appalachian Trail you know at least my little spots that I like to hike I was like then it's for a good cause it's to the upkeep it's research it's all this other stuff so i'll do that but then you know we go into this so when we finally go into this store you know it, it like sells all the hiking gear that you could possibly imagine because it's like the since it's like the midway point you know if anybody's like doing through hikes so like you you what was funny is you saw like all these through hikers like mm-hmm. just laying around yeah. the streets and right. stuff it was like with, yeah yeah hobos with like really expensive gear and uh but when you go into the this little store they sell they sell hiking boots and shoes and they sell socks and stuff mm-hmm. and it was the the toe socks sucker <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was all and, and then the only boots that they sold were ultras oh really how funny yeah those ultras pretty awesome yeah. Except for a thing, um, and then the the toe sock company that I am, was bought mine from. Either they are like, I don't know. Either they're, they're they're planning on going out of business, or they just don't stock all of them. But I mean, like half the socks that they have on the site, they don't have like most of their socks are running socks. Mm-hmm. Like okay, fine, you know. Like I mean, I could I could get like a mid weight running sock, but they don't even have like like I need an extra large because you know got size 14 feet mm-hmm. and for some reason they they had like they have one pair and it's like the, the pair that i bought like i don't want to you know like 
I mean, I guess I could have like a bunch of the same damn pair of socks, but mm-hmm. you know, they got these like got all these different colors, you know, and like patterns and all this other stuff. I was like, come on, man, I want some funky, cool socks too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Of course. Your flair, your hiking flair. Exactly. I mean, they have this like, you know, they got like, you know, like, you know, like the Sherpa hat type things with like all the like loud colors and, and crazy patterns and stuff. They've got those in sock form. I'm like, I want some of those. Nope. Every, every, no like, every one of these, these groups has like a, something that, you know, like it, like we're talking about, it's their flair, right? Yeah. So rock climbers, it's definitely the gear, right? Like it's any kind of outdoor thing. It's, it's kind of the gear, right? Mountain biking. That's obviously the bike. And it's maybe, maybe the outfit at some level, like the helmet or the glasses or the gloves or the shoes or something. I don't know, like contact points with the, with the, the equipment, um, helmet, helmet doesn't count unless you count the ground as the equipment the contact with the ground then then you're just talking yeah <laughs> life safety <laughs> exactly but uh like what is it for architects like <laughs> it used to be like oh sweet well, drafting arm man like that's a, a, that pentel pencil or, i think i think it's pens because like, i was gonna say it's pretty boring now it's like it's like you wear black too right <laughs> it's 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 pens it's glasses and it is glasses, you know, yeah. It's pens, it's glasses, and socks. Maybe it's a podcast. Do you have a podcast? <laughs> oh, there, there you go, that too. <laughs> yeah, Those the socks, like the Tom Main crazy socks with the the black outfit, yeah. right? The the punch exactly. of color, that that little so you're, pop. Yeah, exactly. You're you're all black. You're in all black and all that other stuff. And then when you sit down and you like you know cross your leg and your sock shows, you're like, ooh, look at that sock. Yeah, nice. That's the stance socks. What are those? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, or or some kind of uh, neon running shoe with your black outfit. Actually, so it's funny is I speaking of socks. So I had gone to a an event where we were getting an award, a historic preservation award for the elementary school that I did, and you know, so I'm in a suit, which of course makes me feel really awkward because I hate wearing suits. Mm. And so I'm sitting there and, and I'm all by myself because nobody else from the office could go. And it's in this really fancy place in Annapolis, Maryland. And it's just this, and everybody's like dressed up really nicely and everything else. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I stretch my legs out and I, I completely forgot which pair of socks I put on. And I look down and I'm wearing my skull and crossbone socks. Mm. <laughs> like it's like people were like staring at my socks like you know like, You're like yeah i'm a I, rebel it's like yeah damn it yeah i'm punk rock like, under all this <laughs> which is funny is because like i remember one time i was driving through georgetown and i was and it was when i had the the mercedes wagon mm-hmm. and i'm blaring punk as loud as i could windows rolled the down dad wagon it's just like <laughs> yeah, the, the dad wagon uh listening to punk right right it was hilarious. That's funny. I mean, it, it is it is interesting to think about how groups have their, it, it's their flair. I mean, that's what it is. It's yeah, like going yeah. back to office space and having to wear the, the flair. At the ten working, pieces of flair. Ten pieces of flair. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That's only a minimum. <laughs> What's your flair? 
or or it's a bow tie, right? Like you see some. Oh my gosh, yes, the bow yeah, ties yeah. for sure. If you see a bow tie, we got a, a few friends of the show who are partial to their bow tie. Yes, yes. And uh, you know, no judgment to them. Just they ain't my jam. No, they own it though. They own it. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. No, they and and it is like really pops of color and it's just like you gotta have a collection of, of yes, yes. I'm, I'm sure that they've got like a full full on just like just like you know they say you know hey cormica what kind of pen you got they're like of course you got a fountain pen you know and i've got like my i'm, however, I'm holding my lammy in my hand right now yeah, yeah. well yeah. i'm i'm looking at my uh pen cup on my desk mm-hmm. and i can see like you know both my antique pens and my new Lammies and all that other stuff. Kind of like you're an architect out. of a certain era, just like the bow tie architects, yeah. I, I think too. Yeah, yeah, and and I do wear the 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 funky socks. Mm-hmm. So even even working from home, huh? Although it's funny, you're is, like, is well, that, these are the socks I own. So, so I am <laughs> still very, I, like, the other day I'm like walking around, I'm wearing a pair of like baggy khakis, graphic tee, which was my my new uh, my new T-shirt that I added to my collection. Mm-hmm. which was the um, Radio Shack TRS-80. Nice. Um, going, yeah. going back. Oh, yeah. It was like, I saw the T-shirt. I'm like, dude, I got to have that. That was like the – and they're like, why? What does it mean? I'm like, this is the first computer I ever learned anything on. Right. You know, it was like this is this was the jam. This was, this was computing. It was. For, for the mass population, that was the – was computing. And – and so, you know, I, the trash I that. 80. I was like, yeah, that's so, so cool. And, but then I was also wearing, you know, like a flannel shirt and, you know, I was asking my wife, I'm like, do you know where my sandals are? And, and I'm just like, holy crap. I've literally have not changed my dress since the for 90s. three decades. Yeah. <laughs> like I literally like wear the exact, she goes, you know, this, that's what you were wearing. The way I was dressing was the exact same way I was dressing when she met me. I'm getting the uh, the comments from the kids now. Yeah, about about dress because they are fashion aware, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. I I was on a call the other day. I had a button up shirt on and shorts, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice outfit. It's like, yeah. <laughs> this is this is the Zoom attire, right here. Well, you know, because it's from, you know, essentially waist up in most cases. Because, yeah. you, you know, like, like you really don't, nobody sees me but from chest up. Mm-hmm. It's it's more or less just a headshot. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll wear shorts. Yeah. Well, if I'll it's hot. Dress sweats. It'll be comfortable. Dress, oh, yeah. <laughs> dress sweats. <laughs> you know. That's a thing. It, but then it'll be, like, you know, just a professional-looking shirt or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most I have to think about is, you know, is, is my hair combed right. or my teeth brushed, right. you know, those kind of things. Yep. Um, because yeah, otherwise it's just, yeah. And you know, it's so funny too, because like most of the time, like, especially now, like, like, I guess it's because it's like more zoom fatigue than anything else. And I'm calling it zoom lash mm-hmm. because in, yes, it's trademark. Don't use it unless you. Uh, let me know that you're using it. <laughs> I'm going to use it for the title. Just giving you a warning now. All right. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, um, you know, it's just like, you know, people are, are now like, you know, early on, it's like you almost felt obligated that you had to be on camera. Mm-hmm. And now, and now people are like getting so tired of they're it. They're just over it. But it, 
they're so over it. So they're just like, you know, I've been on camera for like, you know, the past five hours. I'm just going to go ahead and leave my camera off, which was exact, almost verbatim from uh, some something that I heard the you know yesterday actually mm. um, when we were like on our what felt like 15th call of the day. Yeah, you know, it was funny as I was like so excited too. I saw my Friday calendar. I'm like, ooh, I've only got one meeting. And literally, when I woke up, I had five meeting requests. Oh my god! Back to back to back to back to back. Well, to back you, to back. you probably publish your calendar, and they saw all these openings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we have, yeah, we have shared calendars and stuff. Build so that they up. Can, it's like, Cormac doesn't look busy today. You have availability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, because I was only trying to actually like get the work that I've been trying to get done all week right. because I've been meetings actually. You need a day. Yeah, I I actually did that on my calendar. I I book solid times of actually working or else people will auto schedule something in there because there is quote unquote availability, right? Yeah, I put in I put in my working time so that that can't be disturbed. You need it. You have to do that. You have to defend yourself. (laughs) So I've seen there was something that I I did want to ask you about if you have actually seen this because we're about to to do this you know because like right now there is a hiring frenzy out there trust me everybody's looking for people i think you know it was a mixture of you know during the during the tight times of this pandemic you know firms were letting people go Mm -hmm. because they needed to reduce their overhead Mm -hmm. or or projects were kind of like going on hold because the clients were trying to do the same thing. And so now all of these projects are hitting at once. And so, you know, like these projects that we would have been able to like stagger their starts and like, you know, be able to like turn over staff, you know, to the next project and the next project and the next project Mm -hmm. just isn't the case right now. Right now we are like everything hit is virtually hitting at the same time. And so, you know, we've got a surplus of work, and a deficit of of employees and we didn't lay anybody off i mean we we kept our entire staff through the whole pandemic and so now we're like like oh my gosh i mean like everybody's you know you sit through these staffing meetings it's like well you know i need four senior pas i need three to four um, regular pas and then i need you know a bunch of like uh junior staff and all this other stuff and they're like well i i hear that you want them I don't know where you're getting them. Right. Everybody else wants them too. <laughs> you know, yep. like, crap. And, and so there has, so it came to light that there are opportunities out there for us to do studio sharing. Hmm. Have you ever heard of that? I have. I, I have not. <laughs> really? I honestly have not. I've been living in my little bubble where I did hmm. not know that studio sharing was a thing. And so we're about to give it a try. And this, this is something that, I mean, I don't think that our firm, I'm, I'm sure people in our firm, especially the one, you know, like people who are worrying about staffing and stuff had known about, but I had never known about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little leery of, of it just because, you know, it's like, Hey, they're not an employee. And well, know, like, well step back and high level, just explain what, what the concept Okay, so studio sharing, as I understand it, is basically if another firm has staff on hand that is undertasked, I guess, mm-hmm. 
they can basically, you know, other firms can like reach out and basically borrow that staff for a contractual period of time. It's just like, okay, Dave Evan has got uh, 32 hours of free time per week. And right now that particular firm doesn't really want to lose Evan, right. but they want to, you know, keep him employed. They're going to have Evan um, kind of farm them out to another firm that could use them, um, use their expertise, use their knowledge and, and everything else, but aren't, isn't going to hire you on as full-time staff, but you know, we're going to just borrow you for six months. It's got to be and, hard to do accounting for this. Well, that that's those you know, are my not, not my problem. <laughs> well, no, it is my problem because really? I'm I'm the one who has to like you know track all of the project planning and making sure that the hours are set in there and the right you know for the right people and all this other stuff. And so when you do hire people like that, how do I put them into our kind of like financial tracker? Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I it's it's not very different from studios within a company sharing right where you might have different you might serve different markets like healthcare and higher ed and healthcare is booming and higher ed is not and so yeah you don't want to lose those people so you farm them out to um the other studios within the organization and it even could be a completely different office so it's not it's not different than that i would say the thing to be most quote-unquote worried about is that they might like it better over there (laughs) <laughs> if they're if they're really good, hopefully you've done your homework over the years and really given them a home. If you really really like working with them and they add value to your teams, because if you haven't, the chances are high that they will find something better or they'll find like a way to fill a hole in their resume by doing work somewhere else, other kinds of work that could mm-hmm. make them a better architect, et cetera, et cetera. Right? There's all right. kinds of things there. And, and if that happens, it, it, it definitely happens, right? There's people who go to work in one studio and they're like, wow, it's so different. The culture of the studio is different. The mentorship is different. And it, I'm not saying better. I'm just saying it's maybe it's what they different. need. Maybe it's fulfilling yeah. something that they've never gotten somewhere else. And I could definitely see that happening between actual firms too, right? It's a great way to kind of try somebody out. And see if they'd be a great fit for you. And then if they are, man, they're going to do everything they can to keep them there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, it, it, and it's interesting is because like, you know, we've got our, so we have a Baltimore office and we have a DC office and we also have, um, you know, some satellite people who work throughout. And then we also have, you know, another Phoenix, Arizona office. And all three of them are completely different in the way that they feel, the way that they operate in a way, you know, exactly what you said, the, the atmosphere is completely different. I mean, I, I had, because I had experience with K through 12 and we had a project, a K through 12 project in, in our DC office, I had, you know, I, I started going into the DC office rather than, you know, my standard Baltimore office to um, help them out on this project. And it felt completely different. Now there were some things, you know, like the people, the people were, you know, are similar, but like the, the feel of the office was different. I mean, the, the sound, the acoustics, the, the, you know, this was, it was in more of a corporate office looking environment rather than like the historic building that we were in that, you know, is on the water and almost has this like very chill vibe in, you know, in the Baltimore office versus the, it's livelier. It, it, there's like more sound. It's, it's, it's hustling, bustling, busy. And since the DC office is smaller, everybody, you know, just like kind of stays quiet. 
you know, and so it like felt like different yeah. and, you know, not bad. It was just, it just felt different, you know, but then, you know, there's the perks of like, you know, you're in DC and there's a lot of like, you know, like where we're at in Baltimore, there's not a lot of like food choices, but there's a, in DC, you know, there's, there's food trucks to like all sorts of different it's restaurants. It's just very different. Else. They're, you, they're not even the, Com- yeah, completely yeah. different. Yeah. Completely you guys are looking out different. on the water. I think you've yeah. got this gorgeous view right out the window. Uh, I can't even, yeah, I can't <clears> even, I can't complain one bit. About but I that. think, I think people underestimate how different offices can be culture, leadership, yeah. atmosphere, yeah. just even the environment. Like, there's so many things that I think. I, and why I say underestimate is because I think people think that all offices are kind of the same and they're, and they're just totally not there. You no. can move from one floor to another and it can be 180 degrees different and you can move from one section, you know, one studio to another, it can be totally different. And it really kind of starts with the personalities of leadership, right. And the, the inclusiveness or the exclusiveness, like, and I'm not saying either one of those is bad. Like maybe, maybe exclusive is good because it raises the bar. I don't know. Like there's so many ways you could skin this. Right. So, but it, it doesn't, there, there are no two that are alike. Well, I mean, you know, like when I, um, when I, uh, visited your office, I mean, it's a great example is like, you know, you've got like all these different studios within that building, you know, and, and visually it, it felt the same, but you know, when I went into uh, the different studios, they felt completely different. Mm. Like your studio seemed to be like the liveliest of the studios when, mm. you know, I mean, when you and friend of the show, Brett was, you know, were were like, walking me around and showing me the place and stuff like that. For some reason, there was just different vibes that you got from the different, you know, places within the same building, right. within the same atmosphere. And it just, yeah, I mean, and, and so, so what, you know, so where I was going with this, this, um, this thought on the studio share, and, you know, we've, we've talked about it before though, is that it, what it does is that, you know, it, it really does kind of like offer up an opportunity for people to, be remote so that there's this kind of like recapturing of this work-life balance and be able to like, again, stay, you know, employed with the the firms that you like to be employed with. And if by some, some chance that firm doesn't, you know, they don't want to lose you, but they want to, you know, like, but they don't have like the appropriate amount of work for you at the time, or they're waiting on another project to start going and just need a small like stopgap, then, you know, to reach out to like partner firms. And, and so it, it what, what's interesting about it is, is that this is something that I had never really seen before in the profession of basically like op- almost opening your doors and like letting other people see like your inner workings. And like, there was no real sharing of information, sharing right. of knowledge, oh, sharing yeah. of resources. No, there's I mean, protection like, of all those things, not sharing. Totally. Of yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I kind of hope that, you know, again, you know, as much as I harp on this, I, I hope that this pandemic is teaching us something about how we're able to kind of like open up and share and become a little bit more like fluid with the way that we operate our business. So it isn't, as you always say, you know, butts in your seat. If your butt isn't in the seat, you're not working kind of mentality. It's very gig economy kind of influenced, right? Where if 
treating people as if they're kind of consultants on, on some, some level, right? right? It's like you come yeah. in, you, you inject your ninja skills for the time required, and then you jump to another place that requires your ninja skills on that thing. And I actually had a guest on, on my other podcast and he, he has an article that was really inspiring to read in, in the same vein as we're talking about. And he calls it the rise of the 10 X class. And his name is drawer Poleg. I'll put a link to the episode in the show notes, but he's a, he's a historical economist and he, he's really interested in the future of work. And he's talking about mm-hmm. these people who are going, basically, you know, we've always built by the hour, right? Architects right. sell time and much like other professions, right? It's time for money by the hour. Lawyers have figured out how to bill, you know, in increments of an hour at very high rates while architects lament the fact that they have not. Right. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, Basically, he's saying like that's normal. That's going to be normal. You're gonna you're gonna make a lot of money for 15 minutes here and there, right? As a as yeah. a 10x yeah. class worker, which is like you've got this super specific expertise, and you will be sought out for it, and you will apply it when and where necessary, and then you'll fill your other time with other things with with different types of work. But there's going to be certain things that you do that. You're going to do anywhere because geography and um, time or work have been decoupled, right? So you don't have to mm-hmm. be there to do it. Um, and you're going to be able to, if you can kind of successfully market yourself and get, get build a network around this thing that you do better than anybody else, you're going to be the go-to person. And I don't, I don't think that we really think about it that way yet. I don't by we, I mean the profession of architecture. I don't think that architecture is open to that kind of thinking yet. And I think it's because we've always kind of had this three track mentality. You're a designer, you're a project manager, you're a technical architect, period. That's it. That's all there is. And it's not true anymore, right? Architecture firms are hiring researchers and data scientists and sustainability experts and um, psychologists and, behavioral psychologists and all kinds of different things to influence their work and make it more valuable for their clients. And, and so we're seeing that happen, but at the same time, it's still hard to get out of the lanes of these three tracks. And, and so, yeah, if you, if you're going to be somebody who, who knows how to do something extremely well, better than most people, like you could actually work one you could work 10% of the time that you that you work now and make just as much money and that and that's going to get that gap is going to get bigger and bigger is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah and it i mean and it just it, it and it offers up such a interesting opportunity for people i mean you know you were you were talking about when you, know, you started talking about the um the studio share and, and how what like we even just share within our own offices and and a lot of times the the reason why we do that is because we we want you know different experiences different project types to work on and things like that you know and it, and it like offers up like freedoms that we just don't normally right, you know that right. that the, the nine to five office you know time in time out kind of person doesn't really feel that well would you um, rather send they, that somebody to an to another firm to get that experience or would you rather keep them in your firm and get it there by sharing into another studio? I mean, obviously, you know, it's to keep that person there. I mean, you want to keep those resources, but you also want to develop them and grow them. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you, you, I mean, because then they become that valuable resource that, you know, can move, you know, be that, that ninja that moves from, you know, project to project. Mm-hmm. I never really thought of myself as a ninja, but I think in a way that sort of is my role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, that's the role of a lot of uh, leadership is, is to apply the right amount of pressure and skill and, you know, it, when appropriate. And, and it's, it's very much more of a general role because you're orchestrating so many moving parts happening at the same time. And you're just kind yeah. of, you're providing that guidance and that orchestration. And that really, I think you can only do that once you have all of the experiences of everybody else who's doing what you're asking them to do. And so that you actually can connect all the dots between all those things. Right. And, right. and exactly. I, th- those are ninja moves a hundred percent. So you want to update on my, my latest tool purchases? Of course. <laughs> Switching gears here. The, the palm nailer is awesome. I, I have to uh, re- revisit because I hadn't used it when I the last episode we recorded. And so I was putting in joist hangers with it. And mm-hmm. uh, I was showing my son and he was just like, his jaw dropped. He's like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Which was basically my, re- my reaction when the first time I saw it too. It's super cool. Um, what sorcery is this? You do feel like you might put a nail into your own hand, um, which is not too different than a normal nail gun, I guess. It's just you just got to get used to used to it. But it it has like this little magnetic nail holder, and you can just zip nails into wood. It's pretty pretty freaking cool. But something showed up yesterday because the next part of my project is about to happen. So I've got all the deck framing done basically, and now I'm moving on to the trellis, and uh, it's a steel trellis. So steel beams steel uprights and so i realized when we were cleaning out the garage that my old welding helmet had died it had basically the the plastic had disintegrated in a couple places and the it's a self-darkening lens it has like a shutter in it right so um which is fantastic it's way easier to weld when you have an auto darkening helmet you don't have to flip the helmet up and down every single time you want to check something because there's a lot of that when you're welding Right. right. Uh, so auto darkening and I can't believe how inexpensive they've gotten. I mean, buyer beware, right? Like this is your eyes you're talking about. So you got to get something that, that is of good quality. But, um, so yeah, that's what showed up and I got one with, with an Eagle and like some stars and stripes on it because it was the the right price category for me. (laughs) My wife saw me trying it on last night and I was getting it getting the settings all set up she's like oh that's not good that's really really bad actually <laughs> she's like she actually said oh that's embarrassing <laughs> i said yeah it's a good thing no one has to see me <laughs> in, the, in the garage you know the well ventilated garage but still the garage yeah well you know it's not about style style it's about substance you know, you're just trying to well, you know, get those things welded up right. Yeah, and uh, I got a new set of welding gloves because she she totally ruined my last pair by picking cactus with it, and mm-hmm. and she I pulled these ones out. She's like, "Oh, those are nice." I said, "You stay away from my gloves. <laughs> you ruined my last pair. You did not replace them. I had to buy my own replacements." <laughs> How dare you? How dare you look at my gloves with longing eyes? Yeah, so uh, I'm excited Apparently, to weld again. It's been a long time. To buy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the things that you know she actually she, she wants them for gardening 
I was going to say the funny thing is, is that like if she's like picking cactus and she's using them to like not obviously destroy her hands and stuff, the gloves that we used in the army for Constantina wire, mm-hmm. that is, it's almost, it's like this leather with like kind of like a metal, I don't want to call it chain mail, but basically um, like every bit of like the, you know, it's leather gloves, but they're like these really super thick leather gloves. And then they've got like this metal kind of like weave around there. So like, like nothing can, yeah, kind of like a weave, but it, it's, it's bigger. It's like um, steel toe boots for your hands. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. not plate steel, it's, but yeah, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's really hard to explain what they are until you like look at them. And then when you look at them, you're like, what the hell are these things for? Robocop gloves, you know? Like, but they're just, it, it's amazing. So like if anybody's listening, you know, look up barbed wire gloves and you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see that they're weird, but they are, they save your hands. And I can only imagine that, oh, these are a lot different than the ones that we used in the army though. Now I'm looking up barbed wire gloves. and Yeah, <laughs> of course. These are a hell of a lot nicer. <laughs> yeah glove technology has advanced yeah so yeah, yeah. my next thing There's is i'm, I'm going to be doing quite a bit of welding and teaching teaching people how to weld i i think that like just doing oh, this right. this exercise of building this i i actually really love the kind of rough framing part of a project i'm thinking mm-hmm. like even in larger architectural projects that is my always my favorite part it's not when yeah. the project's done yeah. and wrapping up and getting all the drywall on that's covering up everything that's going on underneath i like to see the bones of the yeah, project i love, to, I love to see the guts yeah it's the gut the guts are the best it is and it's it's just like you you can already sense the space that it's going to be but it's all the things that are that are going on underneath the kind of final aesthetic layer that are making it what it is and i i love that part of this of this project. And it's so important. I feel like for architects to build some things and to work with their hands and to make stuff. I I just can't stress enough that it's so important to learn how things go together and to learn how to frame things and to try things and fail and rip them apart and do it again. Because I think there's so many times where we expect a contractor to do something and without any idea of how it's going to be done. And they're really good at figuring that stuff out and, and, making it happen. But at the same time, like if like when you have to go through the sequencing process yourself of this before that, before that, before that, and kind of putting that puzzle together in your mind or on paper or whatever, it's so important to do that. So I would uh, highly recommend find something to build. Like it doesn't matter if it's a chicken coop, if it's a deck, like, I don't know, fix something in your house, put in a skylight. I don't know what it is, but like, it's it's so important to actually do those types of things and you will be a better architect for it 100 percent. yeah even if it's just an interior remodel like just an interior remodel like those are really hard (laughs) you know finish work is so hard um it's really hard to get good at right um so those are the things that i would i'm excited to to do it again because you know i did this interior remodel of the space that i'm sitting in right now but to to work outside and to be in the sun and putting you know screwing lumber together and digging trenches for footings and placing them and, and all that stuff is just kind of shows you the value of what 
the physical labor brings to a project. I mean, these it's interesting to think about architecture is still largely like 99% built by hand, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And placed in pieces one at a time and like things are getting fast and but when you do it yourself it kind of really reinforces the value of okay i've got to move 39 deck piers from the front yard to the backyard right those things are like 50 pounds a piece 40 pounds a piece <laughs> like there's you you're going to be more sore than you've been in a very long time just by building something and i think that's really good for you right like that's really good for your body it's good for your brain it's good for your psyche it's it's all that stuff oh, yeah it? yeah but anyway, that's my uh, my advice is go, go build something. And maybe your uh, next new tool purchase would be a, you know, hand truck or a dolly to bring those. Uh, I thought you were going to say like a massage chair. <laughs> <laughs> Hot well, tub. It sounds like, it sounds like you need one of them too. See, that's what you need on your deck. I, I hope you've planned for that. <laughs> yeah. Hot tub. Hot tub. I think that like this is, it is a, you sleep better than you've you probably sleep when you're sitting at a desk all day once you've done all this stuff and it it is a, a pretty well balanced life i think to to be a maker of physical things and be out doing that yeah. in the outdoor air and it it definitely brings a level of experience that a lot of people just don't have it gives you kind of some additional ninja skills that a lot of people aren't willing to do themselves and I mean, I know there's a lot of people who want to just work on the biggest, the best projects, but like, seriously, these small projects have a lot of value too. But then you've got all these tools and you got to do something with them after the fact. (laughs) When when am I going to use that palm nailer again? I don't know. You'll find something just because you'll say, oh, you want some raised planters? Okay. Yep. I mean, don't, don't you have raised planters already? I do. Yeah. Would it have been better with that palm nailer? <laughs> I screws most of the time. Mm. Okay, so, well, yeah. then you'll find something. I will. <laughs>